Thanks for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Anna Townsend, the preschool pastor here at Rolling Hills Community Church. We are so glad that you've joined us today as we continue in our Advent series. In today's sermon, Pastor Nick Allen will be teaching from Luke 1, 26 to 38, focusing on the theme of peace and how regardless of what's going on in the world around us, true peace is found in Jesus alone. Now here's Nick. Isn't that a peaceful picture? You see it, the, the, the background, it's so serene. I proposed to a spot like that on the Blue Ridge Parkway in North Carolina to Susan in the year 1999. And, uh, and I look at it and I'm like, that's, that's a place of peace. I want to go back there. Some of you just laughed because you weren't alive in 1999. I'm a little offended by that. <laughs> so every year at Christmas, my family tries to, in some ways, keep up with ongoing traditions and the idea of of, of what it is that we could do to, to fulfill the call that God has given us as the parents of Lily Kate and Nora Blake and Simon, um, to be the people who pass faith on to the next generation, to be the people who speak about it when we wake up in the morning, when we lie down at night, when we're along the road, when we're reclining at the table, that there would be points along the way every day that we're talking about the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. But then you get to special times throughout the year where that's just heightened. You can name them like Christmas and Easter and New Year's and birthdays and other holidays throughout the year and other special special moments in your family calendar and your rhythm where you know that you bear direct responsibility of seizing that moment and making it more than what it could be and using it as a leverage point to make sure that the generation that comes up behind you has an expressed faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a real faith and it's a tangible faith and it's a a trustworthy faith that they're going to hang their hat on for all of life, regardless of what sort of problems and pandemics may come, that they would cling tightly to Jesus. One of those expressions for us this time of year is the idea of St. Nicholas Day. And so because December the 6th falls on a Sunday today, I can officially just celebrate with you happy St. Nicholas Day. Now, we know the expressions culturally that we celebrate regarding Santa Claus. I don't know what's going on different with him this year than in other years because of, you know, masking and social distancing. I imagine that we're all not lined up around the corner at the mall letting our kids touch him and stuff because that would be weird and we certainly don't want to make him sick. But our family celebrates in a little bit of a different way. We, we kind of honor and celebrate St. Nicholas Day, the, the original saint who by whatever measure of wealth he was provided, saw that and seized an opportunity to be generous to people who were in a very particular need. And there's a lot of urban legends surrounding St. Nicholas that, that go way, way, way back in the church calendar. But one that we love to celebrate and one that we love to honor is this idea of some really poor girls who had no chance of being married in their community and who had no chance of being able to sustain life in their community because they didn't have a dowry that would make them mark. And so the idea that those girls would have been trafficked off into a situation similar to what some people are experiencing all over the world today. This guy snuck in their houses apparently at night. Now, it's not as creepy as it sounds, and dropped enough money in their stockings that were hung by the fire drying from the wet day so that they would have a proper dowry. And so it wasn't just a fun, generous, make a list and check it twice kind of gift. It was an actual picture of providential salvation. And so our little Allen children put their shoes out by the fireplace or by their door on December the 5th, and 
that night we will fill with something kind of special just in honor of a saint who saw generosity as a reason for the season. His commitment to Christ compelled him to be generous and to create a world that would be more peaceful for those ladies. Now, we're also lighting an Advent candle every Sunday and celebrating what that is. And last week, Pastor Jeff did a fantastic job kicking off this season for us and talking about the idea of hope, because what we need more than anything is for Christmas to usher in a layer of hope that we have not previously understood the remainder of life, particularly the remainder of this year. Like, we need that layer of hope. And so today, if you're lighting an Advent candle at your home like we will tonight as a family, you're, you're going to light the peace candle. And, and what you have to know about that idea of peace is that it's a very different definition than what the world proposes to us. Because this idea of peace is not just the absence of war. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's not just making up and making amends. It's a picture of wholeness and completion. Both the Old Testament picture of peace and the New Testament picture of peace, they give us this idea of something being whole and complete, taking the chaos and making something that's order, offering to bring restoration to broken things. In Israel in the Old Testament, they knew broken things. They knew broken walls. They knew torn down temples. They knew broken systems. And so what they hoped for and what they longed for is that the God of peace would reign and that an order would be made out of the chaos and broken things would be restored. If you're looking for a word picture, then the one that they give us in the Old Testament is so clear. It's literally the idea of a stone wall being pieced back together brick by brick until it's completed. And so Jesus enters the scene in a really broken world in uh, the middle of terrible chaos. And what Israel longed for him to bring was order to all the broken things and a sense of peace in the messed up world that they live in. And last week we started with Luke chapter 1 verse 1 and he writes to Theophilus, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And that idea of an account, that idea of an account is the story or the narrative taken through all the way to the end. And that's what we have to see when we look at the gospel story. Even every single little tiny individual part of it, like when Gabriel visited Zechariah and told him that he and Elizabeth were gonna conceive and have a child. And now today when we get to the part where he goes into the story and this little nativity that's set up, we have the little people wanted our home and we hide the little parts of it every Christmas Eve so that on Christmas, Christmas morning, our kids can wake up not to presents, but to a scavenger hunt where they literally go throughout the house following clues to piece back together the nativity so that we can read the Christmas story together. And what we have to know is that every single part of this story, even the isolated sections and verses of it, like an angel going and visiting an unwed girl, it speaks to the whole narrative. Even this little tiny portion of it tells us a picture of what's going to happen in the end. When you look at Christmas and every single little passage of scripture associated with it, when you look at Christmas and every single nativity character associated with it, when you look at Christmas and every single line that's written about it and every single stanza of every single carol that we sing about it, we know that they all point to the end of the story. Look at our lives today. We know that there is an end. There's an end to the story. And we can be confident knowing what that end is is. So today we arrive at Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26, and these will be familiar words if you've ever celebrated Christmas before. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember she was 
older in life and never thought that she would conceive and have a child. And now she's pregnant. Her husband is silent. She's literally thrilled about it, I'm sure. And here she is six months in and this happens. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. That's a really good welcome. But you know, angels, as Jeff said last week, aren't fat little chubby naked cherubs that make you feel all excited and happy. They're really warriors of light. And so needless to say, even with the context of the greetings, you who are highly favored, hey, this is a really good greeting. She was still, verse 29, greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. What kind of messenger is this? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. That's why angels always start out with do not be afraid because they're apparently pretty scary. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. It's literally a picture of the fulfilled promise that her people had been waiting for generations to see come. And she asked this question, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, here's a little bit of proof for you, girl. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. Kind of wonder what her old age might have been at this point. My wife and I talked about it. She's probably like 40 or something and we're just offended by the whole deal, but she's older in years. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary responded, if you like to underline things in your Bible, I would pick, I'd pick this. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Father, we pray that today these words would not just be etched in our minds because the Christmas story is a familiar one, but they wouldn't just be etched on our hearts because we do value writing your word in our heart because we know that's key to not sinning against God. We know there's a promise in there somewhere, but ultimately they would be etched in our hearts so that we can go out and live them confidently and boldly, proclaiming the hope and the peace that we have in Jesus because of what we've experienced today. And Father, we pray that ultimately you would be honored by the reading and the hearing and the application of your word. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You know, I grew up with nativities, mostly really fancy ones that we weren't allowed to touch and that my mother and my grandmother like wouldn't let us come anywhere near because it was sacred or special or she didn't want us to break it or something with baby Jesus would go missing or an angel wing would get broken off. And we definitely have those kind of nativity sets in our house too that we use as part of our Christmas decoration. And that's why the Fisher-Price Little People one is so important because while we have the nativity set that we don't want the kids to touch, we have the nativity set that we completely want them to touch. And it's set up in front of our fireplace at home. Not that we've been running our fireplace at home. I think we might pretty soon. And so we probably need to move the nativity set because we wouldn't want to burn the baby Jesus. But every morning without fail, Simon, eight-year-old kid gets up and he's playing with the little nativity set. And often you can find mixed in with the shepherds and the wise men and the sheep and Mary and Joseph and the angel that sits on top. And if you push on him, he plays away in the manger. It's a really cool set. Like oftentimes you can also find other little characters like black 
Black Panther has somehow made his way to the nativity. And there's a Batman over in the corner that's apparently bringing his gifts to the baby Jesus. It's not weird at our house to see all sorts of little toys that have come to worship and honor the newborn king. That word nativity literally just means birth story. You have a nativity. Now, nobody has marketed a set of your birth and sold it in the Hallmark stars so that people can put it out at their house at some point honoring the fact that you were born, but I have a nativity. All of my kids have a nativity, and on their birthdays, they love for us to tell the story of the day that they were born or how we found out that we were pregnant or what the day was like when we realized because of an ultrasound that there were two girls and one boy. Like, they love to hear those stories. You have a nativity. You have a birth story, and if you don't know what that is, I invite you to ask somebody, you know, older, your parents or your family that would be able to tell you what that nativity story is because every single one of us has a nativity story, something that has chronicled the moment of your birth. Several years ago in the life of Rolling Hills, we know somebody who had a nativity story that included birthing their baby on I-65. Now that was a special story. They were in the paper, needless to say, but still, even with the birth story that significant, they didn't get a set. Nobody's like putting up a little car and a mother giving birth to a baby on I-65 on the center of their table and honoring it any other special time of year. And that's because of this. Your nativity and my nativity they don't fulfill any sort of prophecy. At least not generation old, multiple, hundreds and hundreds of words of prophecy to provide for us a special picture of who this Messiah is. Words like this from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin, it's the one that we're reading about today. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This nativity is different This nativity is different because of who the baby is that's being born. And then 9-6 of the book of Isaiah that we just read, Nor Blake did a few moments ago, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government, the government, the people that are causing the oppression and the unrest and the systems of broken peace that you are forced to endure, everything that's going wrong in the world, not just like government as in like democracy or whatever we're thinking about today, although that's a state of unrest if you don't understand, watch the news. But wow, this whole picture of everything that's wrong and broken and difficult and challenging in the world, that's all gonna rest on him. And it's not gonna be a bad thing because let's just explain who he is. He's wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting Father. He is Prince of Peace. So there's really important things that you can, you can gather and you can glean from Mary in this passage of Scripture. She's certainly a significant girl. And there's a couple things that we want to note there in your notes today, and maybe you're jotting along on the app or you're filling it out in your worship guide, and you can see the blanks as they're filled in on the screen. The couple things about Mary that you want to know is that she found favor with God. The angel said, greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then she's scared. And he says, hey, don't worry. You have found favor with God. And this is when vocabulary does us a really big well, favor because it's the Greek word charitu, which is also translated as bestowed. This whole idea of favor wasn't something she earned, but it was something that God granted. It's literally from the root word that means from grace. God favoring Mary meant that he granted her grace. And a whole history of tradition has been built. And some of you come from a, a more liturgical or more Catholic tradition where Mary was put on a, a place of honor. And, and we certainly honor this part of her story, but we're not honoring a girl who was worth honoring. There's nothing significant about Mary outside of the fact that God in his grace chose her. The idea that Mary found favor with God had 
nothing to do with the fact that there was just something special about Mary. It wasn't because she was good, but it was because God was good. Now, now, somehow or another, we do have to sit back and wonder that she's out of all human recorded history, the only one selected by God to be his baby mama, but it's, it's easy to see why hundreds and thousands of years later, we would be putting her up on some sort of proverbial pedestal. But you go back to the vocabulary, go back to understanding of what the word says, this favor that God granted her wasn't something that she worked for and earned. Good little Jewish girl that she was. It was something that God in his infinite sovereign grace gave. Mary may be great, that's awesome. But these words point us to the fact that God is greater. This wasn't an effort to highlight something special about her but an effort like all the other thousands of pages of this book to highlight something incredibly special about God. She was favored by him, but that had way more to do with him than it did her. So you do want to note that she found favor, but that highlighted the goodness of God, not necessarily the goodness of Mary. Next thing that you want to note about her is that she didn't ask why, but she asked how. I like to do both in my life. Because I, I have a, a lot of questions from God. Now, this whole how idea was way more than the idea of the birds and the beads, because I'm sure her mother had already gone over that with her in the past, and she realized that there is nothing that had transpired in her life, according to those birds and bees that her mother told her, that would have meant that she could, at this point in life, be pregnant, if you know what I mean. But my hunch is the reason that she didn't ask why is because she already knew why. She knew that the why was rooted in the promises of God, that he loved his people, that he had a plan. And even in the words that the angel spoke to her were words that hearkened back to things that she had memorized and heard her whole life, that God was one day going to provide a savior that would sit on the throne of his father, David, forever. Everything that this angel is telling her is an indication that somehow the prophecies of God are going to be fulfilled in this baby. She didn't need to know why she had been waiting for this why her whole life, her whole people had been waiting for this why their entire lives as the God of this universe would fulfill his great promises to his people. She just needed to know the biology of it and say, how's that going to happen? There's just a curiosity that goes along with how in the world are you going to do this? I have those same questions. They're not necessarily why questions. Lord, why is all this bad stuff happening? I know the promises of scripture. I don't have to ask why. It's because of sin and desperation in the world. It's because somehow or another he has a plan that's using all the bad things that happen in the world to accomplish his greater purpose for the world. I don't need to ask the why, but oh, I want to know the how. How's this whole pandemic thing going to end? How are we ever going to get back to hugging one another when we greet? Now, I'm going to leave the holy kiss at the door, but I will give you a hug. How are we ever going to get to the spot as a church where we can focus on growth again? Y'all, as a pastor, I spent 20 years in ministry praying every week that God would fill it up standing room only. And now I'm on the edge every Sunday morning making sure y'all stay four seats apart. <laughs> like, how, God? How are you going to do this? 
We have lots of different how spots in our story along the way. Like, how, God, is it going to be possible for us to make it through whatever issue we seem to be embarking on today? There's, there's a lot of how. But the why, we understand that God's in charge, that he's got a plan, that he's got a purpose, and that he's going to fulfill it. The how answer for us, for any question that you have, is probably very similar to the how answer that Gabriel gave Mary that day, the Holy Spirit. Somehow or another, the Holy Spirit is going to come on us, and somehow or another, the power of the Most High is going to overshadow us. How are we going to grow a church in a pandemic? The Holy Spirit. How are we going to get back to the kind of relationships where we get to serve one another and love one another in really practical, tangible, physical ways? Well, somehow or another, the Holy Spirit. How in the world are we going to manage this whole pandemic when people are losing their jobs and people are losing their sources of income and people can't see their family and some people are getting really sick and it's difficult? Like, how are we going to navigate all of that stuff, the Holy Spirit? That's the answer that we need. The Holy Spirit is going to come on us and the power of the Most High will over shadow us. How are we going to pass faith onto the next generation when culture is literally at war against us, trying to ensure that they grow up with no faith? Well, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon us, and the power of the Most High God is going to overshadow us, and somehow or another, in the middle of what we know is difficult, God is going to show up and do it. I love that Mary didn't ask why. How come? Why why is this going to happen to me? That part she knew. It was the how that she wanted to know. And it was the how answer that she got. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. And the third thing that you want to note about Mary is that she was willingly obedient. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I want my answer to be like Mary's. You know, we tell our kids all the time that delayed obedience is not obedience. Like if we tell you to make your bed and four hours later you made your bed, that's not obedience. Like make your bed now. Like this whole thing about obedience, delayed obedience is not the same as obedience. And I don't think she gave delayed obedience. I think she was ready in the moment, still confused about how this whole thing was going to transpire. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said I have this feeling that she, maybe more so than even the best moms out there, would be so satisfied to know that her story and her obedience only succeeded in pointing us closer to his story and that her account from start to finish really just succeeded to highlight his account from start to finish of the sacrificial way that Jesus lived. Her obedience was just a foreshadow of his ultimate obedience. As Philippians says that he submitted himself even to death on a cross. You talk about obedience, sacrificial obedience, ready, willing, immediate obedience. We don't have a better picture than we do of Jesus. And I love that Mary gave us a taste of what that was going to be like. She was willingly obedient. And that's that's how I'm going to be. And as important as these great things are about Mary, this passage of scripture, he's not even there yet, tells us so many more important things about Jesus. Our theology is built on these words. Our understanding of who our Savior is, is, is built on these words. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. 
Like we can believe that Jesus Christ was a great moral teacher. We can believe that he was a really good leader. We can believe that he was a a really influential servant. We can believe that he was a phenomenal historical figure. But unless we believe that he is the incarnate God, Emmanuel himself, God with us, we don't have a salvation. So these words conceived of the Holy Spirit are important words. This passage of scripture builds for us a foundation on what our entire faith in this whole book is built, that God sent a Savior conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was and he is the Son of the Most High God. This passage of Scripture tells us who our Lord and Savior ultimately is, and as a picture of the fulfilled promise that was given to us over and over and over again from Abraham all the way through David and the rest of the prophets, this idea that God's reign will last forever we know that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that prophecy because scripture says that his reign will never end. So we know from this passage of scripture who our Jesus is. And if his reign isn't ever gonna end, then he's gonna be the perfect peace we were never able to achieve on our own. He's gonna be the complete and total whole and lasting restoration that this world needs. The conception of Jesus was only the beginning. The word there that we read conceive, anybody that has kids or anybody that took biology or anybody that had a weird, awkward discussion with their parents about the birds and the bees when they were in the fifth grade, they understand what conception is. Anybody that's following any of the political arguments that we've had for all of our lifetimes about the sanctity of life, you know what conception is and you know that we proclaim that life begins at the moment of it. So this idea of conception, it was only the beginning, but it was a really important beginning. And if you look back at the Greek language, the language that this passage of scripture was originally given to us, it means more than what we think it means. It does mean conception. It does mean that special moment when an infant is conceived, but it means more than that because it ultimately is a verb that means to seize or to take over. Because the Greek language is always doing double duty to represent more than one thing to us, it also means to help. Now imagine the seizing or the taking over part is what most women feel never. I don't know for sure. When they become pregnant, you literally feel like your body has been seized. You feel like it's been somehow taken over by this alien life force that's inside of you. I'll say this. I think that moment of, not a woman, not having gone through this myself, but that idea of pregnancy, that whole Everything about your body is just changing and everything is just being completely taken over. That's certainly a picture of conception, but all of that can also be a really great help. Part of our story and part of our journey, and many of you know this, is that Susan and I had miscarriages along the way. Miscarriages before we ever had children and then miscarriages in between some of the children. And I do remember very distinctly the last miscarriage that we had before Susan became pregnant with Simon, our little boy. And she was sick at different points of all the pregnancies. And some of it was just like traditional morning sickness. Like literally when she was pregnant with Lily Kate, she'd wake up in the morning, she'd throw up. And by 11 o'clock, she was hankering for Taco Bell. I mean, like she was ready to go. It was literally just AM sickness. But with Simon, it just came and went all throughout the day. Some of y'all are like, amen, I know, I can feel her pain, like even back in the day, like just the nausea and the not great feelings. Here's what she said. 
well, I'm kind of glad that I'm nauseous because it means I'm still pregnant. Those pains, that, that gross feeling, for her, it was always a help, a helpful reminder that, okay, even in the middle of the hard, there's something really, really good coming. Hey, Mary, this part of your story, you're going to conceive and you're going to give birth to a son. This is about to take over your life. And it's, it's probably going to be really, really hard. We know that it was. We, we know historically and culturally. We know from the story that's given to us in the book of Matthew where Joseph had in his mind to divorce her quietly because this was a disgrace. But the angel came and visited him and said, no, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for what is conceived inside of her, what has taken absolute over her is the Holy Spirit. And if you can walk through the difficulty, it's going to provide you some help, a great help, an unbelievable help. You're going to conceive And it is going to be hard. It's going to take over your life. But it's going to be the greatest help you've ever been given. It's going to restore what has been broken. So you follow the account of the story all the way to the end. The only way to, to truly be at peace, to truly understand that you've been helped by God, is to submit yourself wholly to God. Fast forward and Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem. Grown up Jesus, not lying in a manger, infant, no crying he makes Jesus, but grown up Jesus. He, he makes his way into the city And in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it says this, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, I love that we sing no crying he makes. That's such a weird sentence. Because here's a moment where Jesus cried. It says he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. That's the absence of peace. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. I want peace to take over. I actually want my definition of peace to take over. It would be the absence of conflict and all difficulty and all wars and all problems in the world. Like I would love for that peace to take over, but ultimately I have to surrender and submit my understanding of what peace is to what this understanding of peace is and say, I want Christ's peace to take over and reign in the world, in our nation, all nations. I want it to reign in my family and ultimately in my heart. See, true peace is recognizing Jesus He's the prince of it. And true peace is to recognize Jesus. And to, to recognize Jesus is to have a relationship with Jesus. When he said these words, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. That verb recognize means to know and understand. Do you know what it's an idiom for? Jewish marital relations. 
yeah, that. It's a picture of knowing intimately. So to recognize God is to know God intimately. So we ask ourselves the question, do we want to to know and understand this kind of peace, even though it's going to be difficult, even though it's going to take us over? Do we understand that peace and do we recognize what Jesus came to give us? Scripture records for us the way that Jesus would be conceived in Mary's womb. Well, it's the same way that Jesus would be conceived in our hearts. The same way that Christ was born of a virgin is the same way that Christ can be born in us. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Somehow, recognizing that God, in his sovereignty, has granted us favor and extended to us his grace and somehow or another looked at us as a people and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to usher to you my peace. But here's the deal. You can only have that peace when it completely seizes your life and takes you over. The way to have the peace of God is to be holy and completely surrendered to his son, Jesus. And that only happens when the Holy Spirit takes us over, when the power of God overshadows us and takes over every single facet of us. So we get to say today, not as a group of people who are about to get pregnant, not as a group of people who are about to get nauseous, not as a group of people who are about to birth a baby, but as a group of people who have received an incredible favor It's the peace of God. And scripture says it it passes all of our understanding. Scripture says it will reign over us. And scripture says we get to be ambassadors of it so that other people can recognize it too. Now the thing that made Jesus cry is a group of people who did not recognize that he had come. We have people all over our world, people all over this city, people all over this neighborhood, people all over your dinner tables who may not recognize that the Lord came. Not recognizing that the Lord came is because they won't submit to who he is and why he's here. And so, Father, what we pray for this year, what we pray for even now, is that we would be a people who are just completely seized, completely held up with the idea of who your son is, the why and the how he came, so that other people can know and recognize him too. This is a gospel season. This is a Let's proclaim the truth season. This is a let's invite everybody to know why we sing the words that we sing and why these carols and why these truths are so important season. This is an understand what real peace is season. That God is putting things back together. 
Maybe not in the way that we thought, but definitely in the way that we need. How's it all going to happen? The power of the Holy Spirit will come upon us. And the power of the Most High will overshadow us and give us Jesus. And when he takes us over, that's a pathway to peace. It's a pathway to forgiveness. And it's a pathway to the end of this good gospel story. Would you pray with me? Father, my prayer is that we would be a people who are just eat up with this truth and just covered up with this story. That every single aspect of our lives, every single corner of our hearts, every single tradition that we embark on, every single activity that we engage, every single relationship that we connect in would be conceived by Jesus. And that somehow or another God by our ready and willing obedience, submission to you, may it be to us the way that you have said, that by our ready and willing obedience, submission to Jesus, other people can recognize him too. And somehow in the middle of all that, your church will grow. Your people will experience true peace. And your kingdom will reign forever, right here in our day and our generation. Jesus, we tell you today that we trust you. We tell you today that we love you. We tell you today that we long for you to bring complete and total restoration and healing to all the broken things in this world. God, we understand the why that you sent your son. And we don't understand all the hows of what's going on today but we tell you that we trust your Holy Spirit and we long for your power to bring us peace. It's in the name of your son Jesus that we pray and to him that we commit ourselves completely. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit us on the website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways that you can connect. We are thankful for you.